Welcome to the Fit for Fitness podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Davis, owner of Davis Fitness Method here in Seattle, Washington. This podcast is your resource for reliable fitness information. This information has been sourced from studies, experts, and real-world application from training with my clients and my own body. We're here to help you enhance your life by giving you practical takeaways that you can use today so that your energy, mood, and mindset begin to change right away. So let's not waste any more time. Let's jump into this episode. Cool. So today, what I wanted to talk about was a little bit about mobility, more specifically, kind of the, the whole process of developing what people would define as mobility, which is this ability to move freely inside of their bodies. I'm joined today by, with Coach Casson. Fuck you. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm here with Tris. And uh, we're here to talk a little bit about it. First thing I'm going to do is quickly define a few terms that we're going to jump into. Uh, mobility, stability. Do you have something you want to say real quick? You look like No, 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 no. I'm okay. good. You took a big breath and I was like, all right, he's ready to jump in right now. I'm always afraid that I'm breathing too hard <laughs> <laughs> when we have these on. Okay. I'm just like. <sighs> <laughs> all right. All right. So very quickly, mobility. This is basically our capacity for motion, right? We can't move more than we are, you know, like basically we have the mobility to the passive freedom to move into space. Stability is our ability to resist force and then strength is our ability to exert force. So um, some examples of the differences there would be uh, mobility is like if you were sitting on the ground and you were to bend to touch your toes, gravity kind of assists you into touching your toes. Whereas if you were to stand up, try to lift that leg up to the same height like that 90 degrees of flexion, you might find it far more difficult. You're like, what happened to my mobility? Did it just disappear? No, it's like you had the mobility or flexibility, if you will, the passive range to get there. You just didn't have the strength to pull your leg up into that position. So uh, what I wanted to do today was not just talk about um, how we can begin to improve that, but some of the, the issues that we might encounter. And I know that when Tris first started here, uh, he had some things that we we're kind of working on. Um, we'll have him jump in and give his little, you know, anecdotes, his experience. Um, but yeah, um, so first things first, um, when we're getting started with our training, uh, I like to go through some form of assessment. You know, we do our, our movement screen here. That can change on a day-to-day. There's lots of things that, that can affect your mobility day-to-day. Uh, one, one, one of which is like how long we've been seated, how, like if we fly, if we sit in the car a lot, if we, um, we didn't get out of bed one day, like you're probably more likely to be stiff. Um, have you encountered with your clients, um, like what feels like, oh, some days they didn't get as deep in range of motion as opposed to like other days. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. They feel stiff. They're sore from a previous workout or something they did. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So soreness is definitely one. And I think that that, um, it's kind of a misconception like, oh, now my new range is this like sore, stiff point. It's just more like you're uncomfortable about going into depth. You just, you didn't reduce your overall range of motion. If anything, it probably improves after you get a little bit stronger and you practice those ranges of motion. People just have this perception that this transient reduction in range due to the fact that you're, it's painful to go into that range mm-hmm. means that they no longer have access to that range. And like, I'll, I've had clients who are like, 
oh, I'm stiffer now that I weight train. It's like, no, it's probably, in fact, the opposite. Like, you probably can get deeper into that range of motion. Yeah, but that response of, of feeling sore when you get into that range of motion again mm-hmm. the next day or two days later. Absolutely. It's normal. It's normal. Yeah. It's, it's going to come with that. Cool. Um, so the first thing that I like to attack is the actual passive end range. So like if somebody doesn't have access to getting their arm over their head, what we would begin to do is like look at can can they pa- can we passively move them that, into that position? If the answer is no, we want to start by trying to st- stretch open the lats and our pec. Um, and in some cases, like you're trapping your rhomboid because the rhomboid can limit upward rotation of the shoulder because it does the opposite of your serratus. Again, uh, like all this to say, like opening up the upper back, opening up the lats and having some good stretches there will help to allow that arm to be moved overhead without like your, like without you being able to like squeeze it there, you're kind of being pulled there passively. So, um, some ones that I really like are like hanging off of like, hanging off of like a, the squat rack or something like that. Pull a bar. Yep. The orange handles. Yep. So f- some people, they wouldn't have access to like a pull-up bar or handles or something like that. I'd even then go like off the back of a bench. Like if you had a like a chair and you grabbed it with one hand and then the other hand is like kind of braced against that chair and you push your hips back so that you like now your arm is over your head mm-hmm. and then you're kind of pushing off towards that side with the arm that's like actually grabbing the chair. Yeah. It, now you have to have good balance there too because you could like tip the chair over but yeah if it's pushed against something you probably keep it pretty steady i always find it easier too like if i can find something just tall vertical to kind of hold itself down and i can pull my body weight against it yeah i've done like door frames and stuff like so not reaching overhead but again like that same chair position but like with the door frame yeah (laughs) i've even done like i grab the refrigerator door and then I push it closed with the other hand. Yeah. And then I'll like I'll lean into it that way. Yep. Yep. I used to do that a lot. Uh, talk about the passive um, assessment a bit more. I think I think our listeners would like to hear a bit more like what we do specifically, and because getting overhead is one thing. Um, maybe break it down a bit more and and to the like, actual passive position. Yeah, like external rotation, internal rotation, what that means, mm. and like because you've seen me when I first come in and. Yeah. And for those that you know, do know me, like I'm stiff as hell. Like I, I, I will show a wall angel. I'll, I'll, I'll want this potential client to do it. And I'm terrible ex- at demonstrating it. Right. I can explain it just fine. Yeah. But demonstrating it, I'm like, do you see how difficult this is for me? Yeah. Now I want you to do it. <laughs> and they do it way better. Like 50% of the time show you up. Than me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, obviously like there's, there's obviously getting the shoulder overhead. There's a degree of extension that we're looking for. Like perfect world. We're able to get our arm maybe like a hundred degrees like overhead. So not just that 90 degree, but even potentially further back. Um, and then I'd say like, you know, f- you know, 15 degrees behind the body. Like, so like when we reach down instead of up overhead, we'd like it to go back a certain degree um, without the shoulder, like having to shrug up. And then same thing, like internal and external rotation. What we want is a combined 180 degrees of internal and external shoulder rotation. So if we're missing in one, we kind of want to make it up on the other. Sure, it would be perfect if we had 90 and 90. But like 
you'll have some athletes like baseball players who have a fuck ton more external rotation and they're a a bit more limited internal rotation. And literally there's a a change to the structure due to the fact that they've trained that for so long. Um, Their shoulders are not like our shoulders. Um, No. But um, what I have found is like a lot of women are able to get further into external rotation than most men. And um, they tend to struggle a bit more in internal rotation. So they'll be able to get further back, but not as far down. And um, guys tend to be closer to that, like, 90-90. Like, can, you, can you explain what that, why you've seen that kind of... I couldn't tell you exactly what, the, like, what exactly is happening there. Um, but I, I, just that I've noticed it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I couldn't say, like, there's, like, oh, it's the width of the rib cage or something like that. Like, hard to say what exactly is going on there. Yeah. Um, just what I've noticed. Also, I mean, like, I, you tend to have guys come in who are a bit more tight and stiff and so they'll have they'll actually be lacking more of the mobility side of things whereas like with some females it will be like they're more likely lacking the stability or the strength to get into a certain position they'll have the mobility passively you can get them there but the moment we ask them to do it with like some weight in their hands it's not happening and so that like that's a better problem to have honestly because now you have access to range that you can train whereas like if you're just really strong, but you can't get into the position that would make you better, we now have to open up that range and then start from zero. Because if you can't mobilize it, you can't strengthen it. Yeah. You don't have access to that tissue. Mm-hmm. So essentially, like, the reason why we're assessing your mobility is because that's actually your access to train tissue. Yeah. So, like, what angles? Like, if you can't get your arm into external rotation. So if you were lying on your back and you try to, like put your elbows at like 90 degrees from your body. So you like lifted them up from your side and now they're at 90 degrees. And then you try to drop your palms back. Like it's like a football post. Right. Look yeah, like a exactly. standing football post. Yeah. Exactly. Like you're trying to drop it back towards the floor. If there's a point where it stops, like you can't touch the ground, then you didn't reach 90, right? Yeah. You, you let's say you stopped, you know, 15 degrees before. And so like you're at 75 degrees. Right. Right. So like I'm not going to match you with any exercise that requires you to go 90 degrees mm-hmm. overhead what I would do is I would stop you probably at that just before 75 a lot of the time, because like 75 is your upper limit. Yeah. So I might go like, okay, like let's do 65, 70. Yeah. And so we have a little buffer in the event that something doesn't go exactly where we want it to. And I, I always find that, that difference to where if I was going to prescribe an exercise, you know, doing, if you were to be able to get back to 90 and like think about the position of your cage too, pressing directly overhead versus doing something like a landmine press. Right. Right. Where you have that, that forward difference in, angle. yeah, the forward angle change in degree. Yep. Um, and those, that those passive assessments and kind of give you an idea of what would be best to prescribe for that, that yeah. client in yeah. terms of exercise. There's, I mean, there's, there's a lot of components to it. Like the, yeah. another benefit of like the landmine is the fact that because it's anchored at a certain point mm-hmm. and it, it kind of ha- works on a certain track where it's like, if you grabbed a dumbbell, all of it can move wherever it wants to in space right um so one thing that i I was mentioning to tris before we even started was the fact that um that uh, like a lot of clients end up in what i would describe as movement purgatory and maybe you've you've um, experienced this yourself but it's like we're trying to target certain muscles but you can't feel them because they're weaker than the strong muscles that want to take over the movement yeah oh yeah and so 
you end up in this really kind of frustrating point. And so a lot of times it's kind of like we're trying to really get you into a position, but you're going to have to use less weight than you think you need to use because you're strong enough. Like if this makes sense, you can get the weight from point A to point B using whatever muscles you're using now. Yeah. But you can't get it there using say like your lower trap. So as we try to get you to do like a cable face pull, you might shrug it back and retract your shoulders, use a little bit more of your like rhomboid and trap as a poor, like your upper trap as in, in your rear delt, as opposed to really focusing on external rotation, getting your lower trap involved, mm-hmm. your serratus, your serratus to a degree. Um, it's not important like that you guys memorize all of these muscles. Just the fact that if you're not sure that you're getting better at an exercise, like first it's like, what is the target? And then what are we actually like training? Yeah. Cause like, if you're like the intention of it, well that, but like, what do you, what, what are you actually doing? Right. There's a difference between what we intend to train mm-hmm. and what you're actually doing in terms of like, because that, what they're actually doing could be wrong or could be yeah. something that we're not trying to optimize. Exactly. Okay. So like, I mean like, a common example of this is not necessarily because they can't feel the right muscle, but like think, think of people who do like a, uh, a bicep curl, or you might even see like some people think like deadlifts are a low back exercise. Yeah. And so like it is to a degree, but like it's the, the primary mover is not supposed to be your lower back. So, um, what, what ends up happening is they just like pick it up by any means necessary versus let's put the load on the glutes and the hamstrings use the lats to stabilize the spine and then pull from there. So making sure that we're actually executing using the muscles that we intend to use, even though it's kind of like in spite of like, we can't feel them. So what's most important is that we get ourselves into the position that looks right, even if it doesn't necessarily feel right. And we're not leveraging strength in that position. Yeah. In the beginning, uh, probably one of the, one of the biggest things that have stuck with me, and I've been here, what, 10 months now, has been sensation and stimulation are not always the same thing. Right, exactly. Right? So um, continue, but I... You know, right, I, like you have like, you have, you have what are called sensory motor neurons. Mm-hmm. Um, and in weaker tissue that you haven't been using, it, there's likely to be less there, yeah. right? So like, as I go to go into, say, like something that would require my lower trap, I literally can't feel it because I don't have as many sensory motor units in that area because I don't tend to use it. So but you would find that you would develop more as, as you, you train, train that muscle. Yes, exactly. Um, so you, you, the sensation might come as that muscle gets stronger. So like we have a tendency to feel muscles that are strong because they're giving us a lot of feedback. Yeah. Whereas when we're trying to get us to train something that is weak, you don't get that same feedback. No, especially when it, something else might take over. Like, you'll get feedback. It just may not be where you want it to be. Right. Um, I may be trying to train my back, and I feel everything in my biceps. Right. I mean, like, um, so, like some people might describe, like, when they're trying to work their glutes, mm-hmm. they're like, oh, I feel, like, my lower back or my quads, but I don't really feel my glutes. It's like, okay, it's really hard for you to feel your glutes because – a, you're not training them that much. It's yeah. you don't have like glute amnesia. You don't have gluteal amnesia or whatever like yeah. people like to call it. The thing is, is like 
sure they're not strong as they could be and we can put you into positions where they'll be challenged most often people have a really hard time getting muscles in the short end range and this is just like like a detail that's not super important to most but yeah that's where most people are challenged is when the muscles get to the point where they're like in this really kind of cramped type position where we want to squeeze them but they're they're in a they're a weak muscle in a weak position mm-hmm. makes it almost impossible to feel it so you'd probably be better off getting a weaker muscle into a more stretched position because you're more likely to get some of that feedback. Even though it's a weaker position, you'll get more of that sensation of the stretch because yeah. you'll at least get the stretch because um, you have what's called a Golgi, ten- Golgi tendon organ that is um, it responds to that reflex of stretch, your, that and your muscle spindles. Yeah. So um, I think it's also a good, good thing to point out is that like there's reasons why like if we if I'm designing your training plan mm. and you have a s- number of movements that are first, I'm going to pick movements in your warm up that are going to kind of match those muscles that we're going to target. I think that does a really good job of kind of helping you um, connect with what you're trying to work on when you start applying more load and maybe you apply load a little bit and, and the warm up, but really like, you know, you may, and, and, you know, correct me as you need to the doing a glute bridge, and then you, let's just say your first movement might be doing a barbell hip thrust, mm-hmm. right? You may feel your glutes more because you, you were doing that prior to it. And yeah. it, it, it depends on person to person. Yeah, for sure. Like, um, what would be a good example? Like maybe like three examples that you could connect warm up to like a main lift in terms of like, yeah, I guess it depends on how complex the main lift is. Yeah. Like oh, the yeah. hip thrust, like the hip, hip, the hip thrust, if you think about it, it has like a bench and it has two other primary points of contact, which is your feet Yep, in the ground. Um, like mid upper back. Yep. So I would say your, your pelvis on bar is not a point of contact as much as it's like carrying the load. Yeah. You, it's resting there. Um, so, but like with, with the glute bridge, you start on the ground. So your pelvis has some, like it understands where it is in space based on where the pelvis is against the floor. Yeah. And then as it comes up off the ground, it has some relative perspective of like where is the rest of my body in space um if if we were to add like if we were add like some sort of dowel or stick to your back like if we taped it to your back that would give you an additional point of contact to understand like where is how is my back arching in space yeah because you have something there so the thing that have the things that have more points of contact tend to be easier for us to like understand where our body is in space so um, we would scale these based on how skilled you are and then what is our first movement, right? So if our first movement is a counterbalance squat, um, we might not do a ton of like, oh, hip airplanes, right? Like the skill level, like a skill, like where you're doing a single leg deadlift or anything like that is far more advanced than what is required of that first movement yeah. versus if I was doing a low bar back squat, then we'd want to be able to get into that hip airplane just because of what's required from the hip at the low bar squat level. You need to have access to a hip airplane to do that. Yep. So, um, so like, let's say we're doing like a counterbalance squat. We might be doing stuff like glute bridges off the floor to kind of warm up. We might do some, um, body weight split squats and you might have it with like a dowel in each hand, um, 
we might do some other things that kind of, um, like depending on if you had like some stiffness, um, or like mobility restrictions, it's like, okay, I want you to be able to get a little bit more into hip internal rotation. So we're going to do some 90, 90 hip switches. Um, um, we're going to do some reverse scorpions or like, you know, something to that effect where it's like, oh, I'm mobilizing internal rotation. So again, this is something that we've tested in the beginning, except instead of at the shoulder, you also tested at the hip. So I know we kind of jumped into all this stuff. Um, And we kind of sum it up between like, we, we, we're looking at the hips, the spine and the shoulders is usually the top three. Like, I guess how we categorize it. Yep. Shoulder, hip, spine. That's why we're jumping around, but yeah. The, and essentially like the shoulder is just a more complicated version of the hip yeah. um, because there's a lot more muscles that tie into it and you rely more heavily on like what the muscles do versus like what the bones do. Yeah. Cause like what the bones do at the hip, the bone is in the socket. Whereas like at the shoulder, it's the bone, the bone is like on a golf ball tee. It's hanging there. It's just, yeah. Like all the muscles attached to it to keep it in space. Whereas yeah. like, there's actually things keeping the hip in place, like with your actual like structure, like not the not the muscles connecting to it. So I I wouldn't call that structure because the muscles contribute to like how things move. Yeah. Whereas the structure is just like what binds things together. If that yeah. and it's different because like I'm standing here with with this femur up into my pelvis into that that hole. Yeah. And. Where the shoulder is just kind of hanging. It's just hanging out, yeah. But yeah. Not, we don't want it hanging out. <laughs> yeah. That's not good. It's not actually hanging out, but... No. Yeah. Um, but the biggest things... And then, like, like the, how the spine plays into all that, too. But the biggest things are, like, understanding where these muscles need to go in space. So, like, when we're talking mobility, it's like, where do these things need to go in space? Do I need to stretch more to open up that space to then stabilize that range to then strengthen that range yep. that's kind of that's kind of the thought process and so when i was talking about people not being able to f- feel muscles making it more difficult to get them into positions of strengthening the muscles that help them to get there over time mm-hmm. that's where that's where scaling exercise becomes useful because if i'm just like well the best thing to get somebody to stabilize overhead is a kettlebell windmill but you're not really good at creating this like shoulder flexion, mm-hmm. then it's like, okay, well, like we can't skip all of these exercises that will help us get into this overhead position. Cause like, well, maybe first thing first, like we need to work on just creating more external rotation and we might use like cable to, you know, external rotate so that the shoulder becomes more stable there. We, we transition that to maybe like a cable face pull. We're doing things like, a chest supported Y raise so that we can begin to strengthen the lower trap. Um, you can move the cable face pull from like an eyebrow height to a higher hand position. So now you're getting a bit more of the lower trap involved in a, in a more difficult position. Yeah. Um, and then like then scaling to something like a windmill. And in meanwhile, you can be testing that same position with like a, uh, taking a kettlebell and then taking the bottom of the bell and pointing it at the ceiling yep. and then trying Thumbs to grip up. it and then pressing that straight up towards the, the ceiling without it falling back down on you. Right. Yep. So, um, I know it's kind of difficult without visuals. I did just write an ebook about, you know, some of these positions and how we can go about training them. 
I will put that in the show notes for those of you that are interested. Um, but otherwise, we're going to continue this discussion. It's fantastic. You can <laughs> read it. You you need to read it. I mean, there's lots of you know pictures and videos. It makes yeah. it a little bit easier to understand than a podcast. So yeah, um, yeah. There's that. What have you found that is most challenging for you or your clients in terms of developing you know greater amounts of stability or strength in certain you know ranges of motion? Single leg movements are really catch them by surprise. Yeah. And sometimes you'll find that. What do you think it is about them? What is it about single leg movements particularly? I mean, your base of support is very limited. Yep. And then sometimes you, you don't exactly know how to like going from a a Romanian deadlift with dumbbells, right. Is one thing. And then going like both feet on the ground, both feet on the ground and then going into a single leg to where you have to create internal rotation. You have to shift your weight over that lead leg. And then you're trying to maintain, you know, a good position with the foot, the big toe, everything, and perform that hip hinge. It's just it catches up with them, and then you could you could scale that back, and you can do something like a you know split squat to sprinter pose, right? right. Um, you know, you see people do that, and you see that um, you see how much like can they actually stabilize, um, you know, their hip and use their glute appropriately. Yep. You can kind of see that flare of that heel as it comes out. Yep, and that's kind of like these. Um, they're, they're trying so hard to just find some sort of connection with the floor, something to, to create that base of support yep. that they're kind of limiting themselves in terms of like quality of the movement. Right. Um, I want to jump into why it's so important. Like, so like everybody's like, oh, they've probably heard somebody that's like, oh, you need to do unilateral movement or you need to do single leg movement. I want to jump into why that's so important yeah. um, from, from a mobility perspective. So yeah. first of all, you spend 60% of your time on one leg. Right. Um, so people don't necessarily know that in between like so in between steps right you have one leg planted that leg then you lift the back leg you go ahead and you know try this out <laughs> you can do it while you're on your bike on the listening to the podcast one leg's on the ground when you go to take that other step that back foot lifts off the ground it then swings forward yeah passes the other leg it's still off the ground and then heel strike hit the floor yeah right 60% of the, the time that you're walking, you're in, in a single leg position. So yeah. now, let's say you, you decided you want to you wanna take up running. Your, your biggest issue when you're now running is that you spend a lot more time on one leg. Mm-hmm. And you're very quickly striking a lot of force into the ground on one leg. Mm-hmm. So if you don't have an ability to stabilize said hip, uh, the force is going to then travel either up through your back or, you know, inappropriately down through your knee, um, which is why you get a lot of people who complain of ankle, knee, and back pain when they begin running because they don't have the appropriate stability of the hips. So um, I actually just had my sister in here today, today and she was um, she was testing out, you know, her split squats, and we'd been working with her. We started with, you know, front foot elevated, two dowels, um, and then she's like, now, now no dowels. She's progressed to no dowels, but also she's noticed that she's able to go on her hikes without the knee pain. Uh, and she did notice that where she was sore was no longer her knees that it moved up into her hips. And that just shows that her hips are challenging are being more challenged than other positions. So it's not necessarily a terrible thing. It's just like, it's moved more from a, like the joint to like, oh, now, like, the muscles are getting worked, and now they're fatigued from yeah. going on this hike. Not, like, her actual hip. Yeah. Just the muscles surrounding the hip were now sore after she was doing it versus, like, her knee aching from going on a hike, which 
was the case before. It's good. Those, those muscles are doing the job that they're meant to do instead of relying on the structure. Exactly. Um, which is, you know, our bones and our joints. Right. The bones, the bones will be there and they'll do yeah. the things. But like when we don't have the ability to control our hips and our, our knees in space, like they don't go where we want them to. This is why stability is important. So like mobility, stability, strength, right? Mm-hmm. Stability being our ability to resist force. Yeah. If, if, if gravity acts on us and we aren't able to resist where it goes in space, like we can't control where our body goes in space against gravity, then it's just going to impose its will on us. So basically stability is not allowing gravity to impose its will on you. And then you can keep things in the appropriate spots and that will keep you in net a safer position. Like that's why it's important. So, um, yeah, not not to take away from like what you're already talking about with you know people training single leg and stuff like that. No, I no, just no, wanted no. to it talk makes, about why it was important. It we should and we absolutely should. Absolutely, no. Um, That's yeah. what you you find yourself and your clients find most difficult is being on one leg. Yeah, I find that that uh, that progression to a single leg movement and changing that base of support is is indeed challenging. Mm-hmm. And then you get you, I've gotten questions too, not just from clients but just from other people about like. Um, you know, it kind of brings up what you talked about with running and like the gait cycle, which is what kind of what that is, guys. When we're talking about switching from one leg to another, we're walking, we're running, and so um, yeah, literally the process of walking or running is called gait cycle. Yeah, and it's 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 kind of interesting because I'll get I'll get asked questions and like this is more not necessarily about mobility, but just like um cardio. They'll ask me like, yeah. should I go running? I'm like, why? Yeah, <laughs> but I'm 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 kind of kidding in that sense. What I mean is, is this is kind of a, a side note from from mobility. So like they'll ask me about cardio and they'll ask me about mobility. Like should I start running? And then like they'll explain like oh running kind of hurts sometimes. Yeah, it's like we're probably you're probably not. It depends on how you're running. Yeah. What is you doing? You're going. You know how? What are you running on? And yeah. then it's just all these things that play into the factor of like th- all they want to do simply is do some cardio. Yeah. But what they're trying to do it with is not exactly ideal because they're lacking stability. They're right. lacking possibly mobility because of that right. and strength in those areas. I would like to – so this is the image that I would like to paint. Mm-hmm. So um, uh, going for a walk is kind of like playing catch in the front yard. You know, like you guys are just kind of throwing it back and forth. Nobody's like, you know, throwing heaters. It's like, you know, easy to catch, you know. Uh, but when you start running – um, in the more and more, like the faster that you're running, just imagine the ball moving faster, yeah. right? And so when the ball hits the glove, sometimes it can sting a little bit, like depending on how you catch it. Um, like there's a lot of skill required. Granted, I understand that your leg is not catching the ground. You're just landing on it. But the thing is, is that you're transferring a whole lot more force to that leg. And so it also takes a whole lot more control of the hip to like when you're, when you as you're moving at greater and greater speeds, you actually have to be able to decelerate and control that force that's now coming down. So it's like, can I tolerate 10 pounds through the hip or can I tolerate 50 pounds through the hip? Yeah. Um, I think also the other side of, to kind of complete the answer to your question about where I find difficulty in myself and also with clients too, what they struggle with is also like, I find it really common that like most people can't get into this 90 degree external rotation of the shoulder, right? And if, they, if they're trying to, or they're trying to do something overhead, they're hiking up through the shoulder, or they're using their upper trap, and then they wonder why their shoulders are so stiff. 
yeah. and why their neck is experiencing pain or stiffness. Yeah. Um, and then we have to consider like, again, what can they do passively? Where is, where are they lacking stability? Yeah. And if, and if they're, you know, they have stability in some areas, then cool. We can work on strength there. But, um, I think a lot of times too, we're working on the lower traps. We're working on the serratus, um, just things that will improve the quality of their shoulder function. Right. Um, and then also like how that leads down to this continuum of like, their rib cage yeah. and yeah, their pelvis. And yeah, I think oh, so one, one thing, um, one thing that is often neglected when we're like talking about, Oh, like pecs are tight, lats are tight. Um, th- there's a lot of that. Um, we see a lot of stretches for that. Um, but one of the things is th- like your actual ability to flex and extend your spine. Mm-hmm. Um, most specifically, I'm not, interested in your neck being your cervical spine and I'm not necessarily interested in your lower back being your lumbar spine. Yeah. The middle of your back, your thoracic spine where your scapula sit, yep, is actually going to determine how far that arm can move. Mm-hmm. Right? So like if you can't necessarily even get into positions that allow the shoulder blade to move around the rib cage well, yeah. You're not going to be able to move the arm well. Right? And so like that's like kind of gate number 1. So, like, if we just go right into attacking the shoulder without addressing what's happening in terms of movement at the spine, flexion, extension, and rotation, then we're not necessarily going to be able to affect the shoulder very well. So, like, like just the day I was at RCF and doing... Great gym. Great gym, yeah. And and I want a free membership there. Anyways, I was doing uh, some shoulder work, and I look over, and there's a guy doing barbell overhead press. And this guy looks like he's going to snap his lower back. He's just, he's so, he's so extended in his back and so much arch and his ribcage is so flared. He's like, he's not necessarily pressing over his shoulders. Yeah. He's, he's pressing like he's, over his he's nipples. Chest, he's chest pressing, pressing overhead. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so like break down like what, what you're seeing, like obviously there's a flared ribcage. So they don't have any much control with their core is what it looks like. Yeah. Like how to pull that ribcage in. Yeah. But like you and probably see There's going to be, there's going to be a degree like, so like, there's going to be a degree of thoracic extension on like an overhead shoulder press. Dep- sure, I yeah. guess it depends on like what exactly are you trying to affect? Are you trying to move the most weight overhead? Like, are you a strong man? Or are you like really trying to target the delts with that overhead press? Uh, if you're really trying to target the delts with the overhead press, what you want to do is position the delts in a way where gravity affects them the most. So if you're lifting your chest to the ceiling, no. you're leveraging the fibers in your chest to push the bar up. Not necessarily your shoulders as right. much as you want. So um, if you got a bit more of thoracic extension, I'd, like that would be safer. Like yeah. if you got a bit more thoracic extension as you're doing that, as opposed to like actually, are you like the degree at which most people are arching through the thoracic spine is very limited. There's not a ton of extension there. Yeah. So we de- we tend to pick up some through our lower back. This is okay. Um, and I'd say like a lot of the times people can tolerate it if they've built it up over time. I don't necessarily believe in one unsafe position. However, all it takes um, for you to sustain an injury is for the force applied to be greater than your tissue tolerance, right? So if it is heavier than your tissues can tolerate, you'll hurt yourself. Mm -hmm. So you have to stay within that safe range. However, um, is this person probably getting what they hope to get out of that exercise? Not likely. Um, because if they're really hoping to affect their delt, they probably should pull their rib cage down more, drop the weight a little bit more, get their chin back, and then be able to push that bar up overhead. Yeah. You probably even, you know, have a better time growing your shoulders with, you know, some dumbbells or some machine work. But hey, I'm not here to uh, 
stop you from overhead shoulder pressing. Just saying that maybe there's more to be gained from a different exercise. Yeah, absolutely. Um, how would you, um, what are some common things that you've seen with mobility and like your clients in the morning and some things you've seen over the years? Cause you've, you've told me some, some crazy stories about just like tissue tolerance and, and force apply, but also like things that we've just talked about in general when we're just picking, you know, when I'm picking your brain about mobility, um, what are some things that you've you've taken away from just the what is it thirteen years now of coaching? Uh, <laughs> is it thirteen years or is it? No, this year's twelve. Is it twelve? This okay. year's twelve. Um, man, uh, th- I, like a lot. Um, you've seen a lot too. Yeah, I mean, this could probably be a number of different podcasts, and we'll probably wrap this one pretty quick. But um, you know, with I mean, with my clients specifically, like, the reason he says in the morning is because that's the only time I train right now. But <laughs> I mean, I mean, I mean, he's not, he's not here in the morning, guys. Right. You don't need people to know when you're here. Right. When you come after Stephen Davis. Right. Um, well, okay. So um, there, there are degrees of varying s- skill level um, when it comes to movement. The, the, the things that I've seen the most is um, people have a tendency to try to rush, rush progress mm-hmm. and um, not understand that just because you're getting more reps um, and you're able to move more weight that you're like, again, I'm, I'm beating a dead horse here, but that you're not necessarily affecting the target tissue that we're intending on. So um, what I really like to hone back in on is like, Hey, like don't stress how much weight you're moving. Don't stress how much, like those are indicators of progress, but only if we check these other boxes first and people assume that certain boxes are checked um, that go unchecked for a long time. And that's basically why I'm there. Like it's to be like, Hey, like, you know, keep your shoulder, you know, keep your shoulder in this position, keep your elbow in this position, avoid doing this thing, try to pause here at the bottom. Um, a lot of things are like in the positions that are like more stretched, you tend to be a little bit more, um, unstable. And so people like to rush out of those positions where I think there's a lot to be gained there. I'm a huge fan of, um, pauses and positional isometrics to help improve areas that are unstable. It's really uncomfortable. People don't like to be in those positions. They want to get there out of there as fast as they can. So like it literally has to be prescribed as like an isometric to get them to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but literally that's like, and then, it, then it's going to be the exercise you hate and you tell your trainer, I really hate this exercise because I really hate pausing in this position. It's like, yeah. I get it. I totally understand. Um, what if we just do this for four weeks? It's like, cool, we do that, we switch it, we do something else, um, and then then it rears its ugly head. <laughs> it's, it's back in it, it maybe in a different position, a different exercise. Um, and then maybe you, you try to hide it, you know, with a different exercise. Yeah. Um, but and you're hoping, too, like, after those four weeks that some of it is autonomous, and, like, or they have, like, they just have these naturally built tempo in. Like, they start yeah. slowing down and yep. just, like, and also, too, if they're rushing with that weight, then they probably, sometimes they need to just go lighter so they exactly. can actually control yeah. that. Exactly. Um, quality over quantity. And um, so, um, so I've seen clients like try to rush up weights. And then what happens is as you rush up weights, not only is it like harder to stabilize, but um, they tend to cut off range of motion. So they're not growing as much. Like they're not getting as much out of the exercise as they think they're getting. Mm-hmm. And so they're getting less and less out of the exercise whilst increasing the risk exponentially. So, um, in the past, maybe I've seen, you know, people who 
didn't necessarily have a certain range of motion to do a certain exercise. It's maybe heavier than the control into the bottom range, but like in the top range, I could I, like I'm good. I'm I'm good here. Like so, they can come a quarter of the way down and back up, quarter of the way down, back up. Once they get below a quarter of the way down, it gets way too shaky. Things you know, like they can't control it properly, and so like they lose it, and then like boom, injury. Yeah, it's like yeah, because literally the load exceeded what that tissue could tolerate. Yep. Um, and this can happen in lots of different positions. Mm-hmm. Um, it tends to happen when the muscles are in lengthened position. Like that's when I notice it the most. Like, um, if you're like, you know, going for a curl, like a really heavy curl, you're probably likely to tear your bicep at the bottom, not when it gets to the top. Um, if you're going to, you know, deadlift, um, this is why, um, I like, doing Romanian deadlifts uh, uh, for beginner clients versus deadlifts off the floor is because you go for a deadlift off the floor, everything's stretched. Your butt, your hamstrings, your back, you're bending over to grab this thing. Um, you know, unless you tighten down your lats, they're not there to stabilize your back because you haven't pulled those back in. You go to yank this thing off the ground, everything is basically stretched out. Pff, boom. Ow. What happened? Yep. Um, versus with an RDL, we start with your dumbbells or barbell in your hand. Yeah. Um, and you're standing up. You can grab them off a bench. Right? right. Yeah. You're standing up and you bend over into the stretch position and you'll only go where you feel safe mm-hmm. and you come back up yep. and you go back down and you come back up and you can affect a greater range of like building strength and tolerance, tissue tolerance. Yeah. In that range. And sometimes. And, Sometimes you can see, like, at, at what depth of that RDL, like, do they start losing, like, that, that ideal position. Right. And then and you you're like, okay, like, look, let's work on it. Maybe, like, let's pause there. Let's do one and one quarters. Like, let's do, uh, you know, build it up over time. And then move into, you know, scale those positions into dip more and more difficult positions. And now we're on, now we're deadlift on the floor. Yeah. Whereas, like, a lot of people like to walk into the gym and deadlift off the floor. And I'm like, I, I almost... I almost feel like I'll get somebody, like, if I get somebody and I start them with where they should be mm-hmm. versus you just forcing this position that you're n- no good at, you're just, like, kind of fucking yourself up for a while. It's just, like, you're like, it doesn't feel great. You know, my, my back, like, my back's always tired after deadlifts, all this stuff. Maybe, you know, you're not broken, but you, you definitely feel like you're getting beat up every time you go to train it. If I take somebody from an RDL and then I move them over time to this deadlift off the floor... They're going to have more success when they get to that deadlift off the floor and progress more quickly versus the, some, the person who force-fed the barbell off the ground. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and No, no thought, no thought. They're just, yeah, they're just yeah. going to have the requisite strength and um, they're going to have built up everything else that was maybe lagging. Like, you have yeah. to have a tremendous amount of, of last strength to, you know, pull a conventional deadlift. You need to have good upper back strength to pull a sumo deadlift. You need to have strong quads. Yeah. I can build up all of those things alongside my Romanian deadlift and then move you into, like, so we can be hack squatting, leg extensions, like, all this stuff. Like, I can build up those muscles on the side while we're trying to build up the skills and then more safely progress you into these other positions, which yeah. that's where most of my clients see and, and they have success. Sometimes people, they yeah, they go beat themselves up and they realize like, okay, I need I need some correction. I need to make sure like this is optimized and so they find a coach. But like at the same time, you almost have to like understand why they probably get in those positions to begin with. They've seen so-and-so in the gym and they want to be just like them. Yep. They watch YouTube yep. and they're just trying to do something that they 
they think is going to work something. Yeah. Really realizing the consequences of, of not quite understanding why you're in that position yeah. and the ideal position for your body and your range of motion. And, right. And so I don't think there's enough information surrounding the fundamentals like no. of movement and why we would do this as opposed to like just jumping into this thing. Yeah. But there is also like people who do understand that who just want to level hop, right? Like it, it's like get, get my gold medal, get my gold star, get my gold star, you know, like just keep moving up Yeah. Um, where like some of these things, they do take time and, and yeah. sometimes you're not going to, you're not going to move ahead unless you start to address your sleep mm-hmm. uh, unless you start to address your nutrition, yeah. uh, unless you start to address your alcohol consumption. Mm-hmm. And so um, people will like tend to try to force that, it, but you're not getting that next gold star until these other boxes are checked. They and wonder, sometimes they wonder why everything just bottomed out. It's like, why am I not progressing? Like, yeah. Why can't I hop again to the next level? Like, yep. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, f- I feel we 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 touched a lot here. There's definitely more things to to go into. Maybe we maybe we have you have more questions than uh, questions were answered in this podcast. Um, but that's great because you can always ask questions, and we're happy to answer them on our podcast Q and A's. Yeah. Um, but any uh, any closing notes for you there? No, I just think if you want to learn those fundamentals, you should come to Davis Fitness Method. Yeah, here I, in Seattle. I, I'd agree. Yeah, I'd agree. Definitely check out the ebook too. Yes, definitely. All right. All right, you guys. Thanks for listening, and uh, we'll see you next time. Peace.